Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Talk Show. Today, we're going to ask Catholics, should we vote Democrat or Republican? Yeah, we're going to look at the political parties. We're going to look at how Catholics should form their conscience. And we're going to look at how in an election year, how us as Catholics should consider the political landscape of the United States. And we're going to tell you how to vote. Vote. Great to be back in the studio with you guys again, Ryan Scheel and Father Rich Pagano. How you guys doing? Doing good. really well. How are you feeling well, that I just said I'm going to tell you how to vote? I, I'm My rebellious nature just came out of me. I wanted to reach across the table and smack you. Oh, it sounds like we're getting political already. Already? <laughs> I can only imagine the comments we're going to get. We are going to be accused oh, of being Democratic operatives and Republican operatives. And they're going to say Catholic operatives. We're not Catholic, <laughs> and we're too liberal. We're too conservative. This is going to be awesome. Yeah, down to the very core of really when it comes to the church's role in politics. That's what this show is about. And you know, for all of our audience members and the, and the people on our social media pages, we want to give you a big shout out. And this is the dialogue. This is the format for our conversation. You know, it, it takes dialogue to really come to a consensus on various topics. And Democrats and Republicans all present different, you know, concepts of what will ultimately govern us toward objective truth and ultimately a greater sense of unity and solidarity. So th- I'm, I'm curious as to some of the topics that we're That's going right. to discuss today. So you, you mentioned something right there. And I think it's important that, look, we're not going to tell you who to vote for. That's no Catholic will do that. No no priest is going to tell you who you should specifically vote for, but they will tell you how to vote. And that means how to form your conscience so that you could vote in accordance with Catholic teaching and ethics. There is an awesome quote from Pope Benedict that I always have leaned on. And he talked about since politics fundamentally should be a moral enterprise, because ultimately that's what politics should be aimed at. The church in this sense has something to say about politics. Therefore, the church is an instrument because of the moral teachings that we have inherited, especially as Americans, in a Judeo-Christian establishment of manifest morality. The church should be involved in respect to morality itself because we are the authorities of that reality in the person of Jesus Christ, his deposit of the way that he lived his life. That's right. Now, you said, look, we're going to talk about Democrats and Republicans. And the reality is in our country, they are it is so incredibly and sharply divided between Democrats and Republicans. Now, I personally, I hate the system. I hate the two party system because there is no way either of those parties are going to be representative of the nuance of all the different political beliefs of the people of the United States of America. Or if you look in any other country where you have roughly a division of a two-party system between a conservative and a liberal side, mm-hmm. that does not leave much room for nuance and does not leave much room for you to fin- find a candidate who really does capture what it is that the church teaches. Because I can tell you, and I'm going to spoil the surprise of this episode real quick, neither of these parties accurately represent the teaching of the Catholic Church and they, they just, they do not. On every level. Yeah, it's There's just impossible. There's no way. Now, are some uh, elements of the platform of particular parties more in line with church teaching? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And But neither one of them f- possess a full adherence to church teaching. Another thing, too, is, you know, you look at different parties and controlling senates and congresses, and now you've got one that's appointing judges. And one of the things that I marvel at, especially in the climate of all this like negativity and accusatory uh, point, we, f- uh, finger pointing, is that our system, our our political system, or our governmental system in the three branches protects us from one party or another party egregiously and tyrannically taking over and shoving ideology and 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 laws down our throats. That doesn't mean that we'll get laws that are aren't good or aren't bad. But what it does mean is that the balance structure of our government is something to look at and admire. In my opinion, without that, I I would be more politically 
I guess, active in a sense with other people and trying to help influence votes, but it does The checks and balances does protect against that. Yeah. I feel the same exact way that you do. I mean, that you, the way you described it, I've never really articulated it before, but that that's exactly the way I feel as well. And, you know, before we get so many people commenting on our on our yeah. feed, like the church, it's separation of church and state, et cetera, et cetera. That just means... I can't run for governor. You, <laughs> you know, I can't run for political office because no, you're for a, good for good reason. Because though. you're a member of a religious organization. There's another quotation though from Pope Benedict about this that I that I also want to highlight. And he said, "How can Christianity become a positive force for the political world without itself being turned into a political instrument, and without, on the other hand, grabbing the political world for itself? The church isn't the church's aim isn't to grab the political world for itself. Right. We are in adoration of the Godhead." We are in adoration and worship of the person of Jesus Christ, who is due all reverence and adoration. And in that respect, my hope is that the church has a representative thought pattern and a representative presentation of morality. Without that presentation, you know, how can you vote morally? How can you vote morally? You can't exclude the church's contribution of morality in the context of, of politics, but the church will not involve itself in politics because it doesn't seek to, to seize politics. Now, the, the other side of that coin is that politics sometimes involves itself in religion Absolutely to does. try to attract voters and and politicize the religion of, of many. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Or, or to infringe on the religious rights because yes. they, uh, they are imbalanced with their goals or ambitions. That's now, right. You, you said something important, and I think the church necessarily it is meant to we are to take the teaching of the church and form our consciences so that when we vote we are voting with proper education mm-hmm. with proper consideration of the impacts of our vote um, the church one of, they teach that there's three things that as a catholic citizen you should remember when voting you need to respect the dignity of each person all right it is the core of Catholic social and moral teaching. It is a basic principle and is the golden rule. Do unto others as you would do unto yourself. Now, I'm already seeing the comments. I'm sure coming in, that sounds, oh, social justice. Oh, my gosh. That's so, that's so Democrat. You're so li-. No. We are called to care and to respect the dignity of people. If you think respecting the dignity of every single person, no matter who or where they come from, is a liberal or political concept, you need to reevaluate the way you look at your faith. I am as conservative as they come, in, probably in politics and religion, but I absolutely recognize that you must respect the dignity of a person because otherwise you will not have your dignity respected. And that is the core, that is, that's the golden rule. You have to have that. The, the dignity mm. of the human person is core to our belief system. And how often do we find on our feeds, and, and when I read our feeds, you know, one of us is being attacked or I'm being attacked, you know, just in relationship. It's to usually my, people calling you out for your beard, although your beard, <laughs> your beard's getting excellent, it's Padre. Getting I'm working on it, man. It's doing From yeah. soap opera to grizzly. Yeah. Like, that's, uh, that's what I'm working on. Yeah, he's growing up before our eyes, Ryan. Our oh. boy's going to be a man soon. He's on the come up. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know... It, it's such a heartbreaking thing for me that the political debate has become a tax on the dignity of each and every person that's running for office. And and a lot of moral presentation of where these different men and women are standing is really not communicating well. It's just yeah. really rips or, at each other's character. Or that the dignity of a person becomes a... A voting issue, a way to get more votes, and that, or it's a way to attack, other, you know, a different party by saying, "Oh, they want to give this to these types of people," and then it's like, "Oh, let's set these people against these people." It's the way kingdom builds, the way Satan builds his kingdom is by dividing people, mm-hmm. and politics way too often does that by saying, "These people, this party is going to give these people this money or these rights, and it's going to take them away from you." 
That is not it's, respecting the dignity of persons. It's that's not, terrible, but that's mm-hmm. what they do. And, mm-hmm. and in a lot of cases, I don't want to say all cases because it's not true, but in a lot of cases, all that is is just rhetoric for political gain. It's it not is. even a reality. It, it really it's is. It's not reality. And I it turns in, people's emotions up. It does. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's well, crazy. Well, you have to use fear to drive somebody to take action. On another episode, we mentioned that a lot of people have left the church because of the, the, the power structures and their disagreements and this how, they're, how, they're mani- how they're manipulating religious belief to, to benefit them politically. Right. And yeah. a lot of people are leaving them. It's because it's the same thing in, in politics, too. There's a lot of young people who are just like, I, I don't even like, I don't even watch this stuff. Right. Like, you know, it's just like it a just bad soap off. opera. Yeah. You know, like a someone with a beard like Father Rich would be. <laughs> so, a second what do you think I do in my off time? Politic so, it. Stroke my beard and politic my soap oh opera beard. Gosh. A second principle that we're called to remember is that we need to focus on the common good, not our own personal interests. So, when we're voting, we have to ask. How is my vote going to make the world a better place? Not how specifically is it going to help my own personal situation? Because yeah. honestly, democracy has such an ability to devolve. I think it was de Tocqueville who said, look, when, when, when the electorate understands that they can vote for the person who's going to give them the biggest amount of the public treasury, democracy is dead. Mm. And if you think like that only, well, this guy's going to give me this much money or this woman's going to give me this tax break or this benefit, and you're not thinking of the common good of society, it no longer becomes a construct. It becomes a bribe for your vote, and that is no way to build a society. Mm -hmm. So thinking about how does this, my vote, and how is this, even if it's it's going to be hard on me, if it's – well, if I'm a farmer and a tariff is going to pass on me, but eventually that's going to lead to a more just trade partnership, I should accept this tariff for the long-term common good of our of our nation. Community. Or our community. Yeah. You can't just think selfishly, but too often it's just, I'm going to promise you this and I will buy your vote by my promise. Well, yeah, and they, the fact is they're probably not going to give it to you anyway. Right. That's the <laughs> whole, that's my whole point. It's like, if you look at our political structures, again, we talked about the structure of our country and the governments and the genius behind that. And then you also have got, you've got all these issues and these politicians that study this stuff and, and divide and try to conquer. And, and even in the conquering oh, and focus process, groups, and, yeah, right, and even in the conquering process, I mean, a lot of them, it doesn't even resonate. I mean, how much, how much have we seen people in power in the United States in the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years, just be completely out of touch with just a regular person? Like you look at, Hollywood, you, you look at the banking, you look at like all these places completely out of touch with people, but yet they speak as though they're authoritarian. And, and then the people on the streets like, join these camps so vociferously that they'll fight someone that they've known for yeah. 20 years because no way that person doesn't understand me, care about me or yeah. represent anything I believe in is yeah. the one I pick. So I hate you. Yeah. It makes no sense. It's, it's the forest from the trees, yeah. you know, and I mean, when, when you, when you hold the morality magnifying glass up to that type of a system where we are closing our door on our neighbor because of a political stance and we are just shutting someone out of our life. And at times they could be family members, close friends and literally neighbors. Mm -hmm. And we, and we just want to completely disassociate and you are dead to me based on politic. That is a a clear definitive line that, Hey, and and a lot of those political stances are welcoming the stranger. Yeah. Right. So one of them's got that and he hates the other one, but you got to, it's just the whole, thing is not coherent. It's, <laughs> not. it's just not a coherent it's twisted. set of, yeah. And, and again, like you said, it's just meant to divide people and to get votes and all that kind of stuff. And then the power stuff happens. But I mean, you look at like the Catholic church, we pick an issue, we pick an issue. This is the, this is the Catholic social teaching. You know, one of the things but it's like, coherent and, and, and it is, you use that word. Good. Yeah. in every, in every the church has the a word, you, you look at all that and we're not trying to get you to vote one way. We're giving you a coherent look at the human person and that dignity and how to uphold it. That, through, very through good. That's these it. Issues. That's exactly yeah. it. And it's the responsibility of the yeah. church to do that. Yeah. We, we are the institution that must do that that's before we, God and in our relationship with the country. That's right. Do not expect your government to take care of human beings with and uphold their dignity across all aspects of the need that's present. It is absolutely and utterly impossible. Politicians are not good at running things. We all know that. Mm -hmm. So it's like you're looking at this and you're like, you're focusing in on this and you're saying it's so real. Well, it's not. It's not. 
it's not real. Like they don't really care about this person or that person. These are politicians. Some, some politicians do, but the vast preponderance do not. Vast of them don't. Do and, not. Yeah. And it's the same way. God, you know, God knows this in our church. There mm-hmm. are bishops, there are people who are in power that give lip service to the dignity of human beings who aren't really interested in that. They just want to maintain, That's sad. they just want mm-hmm. to maintain power. This is Plato is he, talked about this in the Republic. Mm-hmm. It's never going to go away. Guys, get over it. There's not a perfect candidate. There's mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. But there's there's no person that's going to be one with the Catholic Church. And that's where I would disagree police. with you, and I'm going to publicly disagree Ooh. with you. There's a perfect there candidate. is a perfect candidate for unity. Christ the King. <laughs> Christ the King. And you I can't and elect that, him to office. Poland did. <laughs> Poland elected him to Poland office and declared, No, they declared him constitutionally as the King of Poland. Okay, well, I am in utter... <laughs> Awe of that, and I want to move to Poland. <laughs> no. well, we're going to go there. We're going to Poland going any to day Poland. now. So yeah. that's right. Wow, that's so, amazing. And and when you when you start uh, discussing, you know this this whole partisan um, status that we Ranker. that we have, yeah. I mean, what do you do as a faithful, conscientious voter in the Catholic Church? And it is a very important question to ask, and it's an important conversation to have. We were brought up in a generation that taught us you do not talk about faith, you don't talk about religion, and you don't talk about politics. Well, that's crippling to humanity. That's crippling to society. No, we need to teach our younger brothers and sisters that we need to talk about these things. How we talk about it, that's that's the reality of the format that we need to create. Right. It's it's not, you're not going to win anybody over by wagging a finger at them and pointing at them and saying that they're divisive. Mm-hmm. You're just dividing yourself right now from mm-hmm. that person. Yep. Mm-hmm. Hello. Like, break it down for Duh. me. Like, help me How understand. Yeah. yeah. Help me to understand where you're coming from on this on this political platform that we're discussing yeah. euthanasia abortion you know uh, you know how we treat um, refugees mm-hmm. how how should we treat those on the other side of the border in mexico you know and canada and canada yeah. what, 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 especially canada <laughs> i know <laughs> so i know so the third thing that we are called to as catholic citizens is that we have an obligation and a responsibility to form our consciences, right? So that we can have these conversations coherently, um, mindfully, and so that it can be something that we can inform ourselves, we can learn from others, and we can help teach others. Now, there's a couple ways that they recommend doing that, and that is always be true to the teachings of the church. Because again, the church has a coherent teaching based on natural law, divine revelation, and Thousands of years of the very best minds of Western society. Lean on that to help guide and form your your knowledge of the issues. Right. It's not like vote this way. It's like here's how we see the human person in right. this situation in this issue. Exactly. You know, mm-hmm. and that's that's all the church is trying to do is just to enlighten you with that. Understanding and the USCCB and the bishops have been consistent, and for the most part, in respect to death penalty. As of recent, you know, uh, things that I get in my email box from my bishop that I know that's going out to our province, and and there's clarity in that type of a a teaching. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so the church provides clarity on certain issues. And there's another, I know I keep on going back to Pope Benedict, but but he was just so clear as an educator of the very delineating, uh, you know, line in the sand, if you will, of what the church must do in relationship to presenting moral teaching. Mm -hmm. That is our responsibility. And let me say this too. I know out there, brothers and sisters, you may have heard a priest say something from the pulpit and spe- specify his political alliance and represent a political person and, and you know, saying from the pulpit when he should be preaching his homily to, to vote for somebody. Yeah. I know that that's happened. Yeah, I know, but they should be using the pulpit to say, look, there is an issue that you are asked to consider and cast your vote on as a citizen. Here's some things from Catholic teaching from right. the magisterium and from our tradition that you should consider before casting your vote. But for me, that is a very fine line. And how that's done, has you have I to be see very, very sensitive. I will never, in my homily, when I am opening up the Word of God in the context of the liturgy, 
Say something like that. I will preach on the readings that Holy Mother Church gives to me for the proclamation of people's salvation of their souls. That's my job. But now, doesn't the salvation now, of your soul depend on the way that you co- you cooperate with evil? What if there's a vote coming up? What if what about all the faithful priests in Nazi Germany who say do not cooperate with this? What about the priests who are saying, look, abortion is not an illicit is not a illicit thing to vote for somebody who supports it. It is pastorally necessary for priests to very clearly say there are issues in your voting that do put mm-hmm. your soul at peril. Mm-hmm. And to ignore that out of expediency or not want to deal with the nuance, I understand why you'd want to avoid it, but and, I don't think it can and, be avoided. And, but in the in the context of the liturgy and the, what I am called to right. do in the homily, now at the end of Mass... Okay. Yeah. The when mass. I'm when I'm when I'm making my announcements and then structuring a, an environment to have conversation and dialogue and you know promoting different things on my social media channels or whatever it is, that's a totally different story. Right, that's fair. Yeah, it is. It's just I feel extremely passionate about what the homily is intended to do in the celebration of the liturgy itself. That's fair. Now, what happens at the conclusion, and we're coming up on the season of voting, you know, we need to be able to have the forum to discuss these things. We need our pastors to help guide and form our consciences. Correct. As long as they're not being science, but you know what, the way, the distinction you made on the homily... I'm going to agree with you. Yeah. Look at that. Look at, see how close we're, we're becoming very, very good friends. One of mind, one of heart. That's presumptuous. (laughs) (laughs) But let me get to this quote from Pope Benedict. He said, not all moral issues have the same moral weight as abortion and euthanasia. There may be legitimate diversity of opinion, even among Catholics, about waging war and applying the death penalty, but not with regard to abortion and euthanasia. So clear. So, And that's what I love about the teachings of Pope Benedict. He is always so clear. That was from his document, The Worthiness to Receive Holy Communion. Um, that was written when he was still Cardinal mm-hmm. Ratzinger. I will link that on the page so you could read that. It's, it's an, an absolute must read. It really is. Now, in that, um, yeah, he even talks about the politicians and their, their responsibilities. Absolutely a must read. Now, you brought up some really hot topics right there, abortion, euthanasia, and death penalty. Um, and they're always on the, the topic list, as oh, the yeah. USCCB puts it out, and how, how bishops are, are encouraging yeah. priests There's to There's what's called the five non-negotiable issues that Catholics cannot, that, that they're non-nego- non-negotiable in the way that a Catholic properly formed should vote. And those are abortion. They should always vote against abortion. They just should. Uh, against euthanasia. Because... If you are to respect the dignity of others, abortion and euthanasia do not respect the dignity of others. And that's that first thing that the church calls you to do in considering your vote. So voting for a candidate that votes for abortion, I just is not licit. You should not do it because it's you are denying the dignity of the unborn who is a person and it takes away their rights. And this comes from not only like natural law, but I mean, God who was... All perfect, all omnipotent, omnipotent. I can't say omniscient. that word. Omniscient. And, and has, <laughs> yeah, he said it like him after that. Has, has all, all things became humble and vulnerable to the human race to share in our like humanity. Like this, this is a God that like literally pours Himself out in humility and vulnerability. And and if you want, if you want to see where the devil's front lines are. Look no more to our most vulnerable people. I can't think of somebody more vulnerable than a child in a mother's womb, right? I mean, nobody has no protection. There's absolutely Mm -hmm. no protection. Um, They should. And then you have somebody who's dying. That's a very vulnerable place for a person to be and helping helping them into the dignity of of meeting the Lord, of of dying and 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 coming to. I've seen so many beautiful deaths. My father, my grandmother, where I felt the presence of God in just an mm-hmm. amazing way. Natural deaths, right? Um, so that's just one example. But if you look at everything else, the exploitation of women, the I mean, who who are vulnerable to men, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're we're stronger. Most of us are stronger. We have you know, and leadership roles in a lot of different ways. But there there is. We're supposed to protect women. We're supposed to protect children. There is a vulnerable aspect of our society that requires men and women to make an effort to protect, Absolutely. right? And if you want to find the front lines of evil, it's there. It's mm-hmm. at the that's right where it's going to be. That's, that's a great point. <laughs> and echoing it, 
where you find the vulnerable, you find their freedoms being stripped from them. Yep. And that is precisely where evil is. Yeah. That's, I mean, look at like capitalistic, some capitalistic structures <laughs> taking advantage of people mm-hmm. who don't have money yeah. like with crazy loans. And it's just a cycle for mm-hmm. them. You know? and, and conversely, where you find freedom, that is where Christ is. Yep. Because as the scriptures say, as well as St. John Paul II, Christ set us free for freedom's sake, simply to set us free. And mm. what would that freedom entail but the protection of those who are most vulnerable? The greater good of Absolutely. our society right. and working towards that. So the five non-negotiable issues are abortion, euthanasia, embryonic stem cell research, because that flows from the same concept as abortion, because it's destroying. Just taking a life yes. and then using it. It's it's. Okay. It's exploitation and manipulation of a human embryo, which has all the potential and the mm-hmm. potence to be a person well, like you or yeah, I. Yeah. Human cloning, again, uh, non-negotiable. We cannot or su- will not support any political candidate that supports the cloning of human beings. It's uh, It destroys the, the, the natural plan of the procreation of humans. And then also the attacks on, on marriage. We should always support candidates who support um, marriages that support society and support families and support children. So those are the five non-negotiable issues. Now, we talked about abortion a little bit, and that is an incredibly hot topic. That is an incredibly hot-button issue, and it's incredibly divisive. And if we're being realistic, the concept is that Democrats are incredibly for abortion, and they are. They in their party platform, Democrats view abortion as a human right, which is sickening. And Republicans pay lip service to pro-life causes way too often. And they say, oh, no, we are going to elect us and we're going to make sure abortion goes away. And there's been multiple times when Republicans have controlled the presidency, yep. the House and the Senate, and nothing has happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's but all political lip service. They're not doing yeah. anything about it. They have at least... Lip service, and they will pass some laws. But to me, in my mind, it's almost like Republicans would not want abortion to go away because it's such an easy way for them to get votes. It feels like it's a way to continue to manipulate the pro-life crowd hmm. so that it's like, well, that's, that's like it's like functional obsolescence. You don't build a car that lasts forever because you'll never sell another car. Yeah. Why would you solve it? One of the main issues that one of the main reasons people vote for you. Well, They've do, not done enough. They say they're the pro-life party. We still have just as much of abortions. And, yeah. and that speaks to my feeling of I don't have representation. Exactly. I do not have representation. And it is always very hard for me to vote. And I'm sure it's very hard for a lot of Catholics out there to, to vote. Yeah. And and we, we do want representation. And but that that's why, you know, truth has always been persecuted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the person of Jesus Christ, the son of God died on the cross. Mm-hmm. It's it's these it's these realities yeah. that we have to face. All right, so let's get into another issue. But before we do, as in any good political campaign, you have to say who you're, uh, this was brought to you by, or this has been approved by, or this has been funded by. For the Catholic <laughs> Talk Show, this has been approved and funded by. And that's it. We are most grateful for our sponsors. And I have to first start with Hallow. Hallow is the number one Catholic meditation and guided prayer application in the App Store today. Be sure to visit Hallow because when you do, you'll see all sorts of prayer and meditation guided efforts that they have put together in a beautiful and most attractive way. From Teze to Lexio Divina to Rosary and to daily gospel reflections and so much more. This is a beautiful application that you should definitely have on your phone. And if you utilize this platform, you will truly be able to advance in not only your understanding of the Catholic tradition of prayer, but be able to cultivate that in your own practice uniquely to you. This number one Catholic meditation and prayer app is specifically out there for you to grow in your faith. We are so grateful for their work. We are so grateful for their sponsorship. And you should take a moment and check them out because they are truly at the very forefront of technological advancement and the new evangelization. So check out Hallow, Catholic Meditations and Prayer App today. We want to tell you about our sponsor, Exodus 90. 
Exodus 90 is 90 days of prayer and asceticism, cold showers and devout prayer moving through the book of Exodus so that men could find greater freedom in Christ. This program is a tremendous program that over 20,000 men have already gone through, and you should consider becoming the very next member in this very powerful movement. Please consider to join Exodus 90 now. Check them out. You will not regret it. Ave Maria University, our sponsor, is an institution of higher learning in the Catholic tradition, and one that is very, very dear to me, as I am an alumnus and a graduate of 2008 from the new campus. We were part of the first graduating class, and it is awesome to see how much Ave Maria University has grown and has become not only the youngest Catholic institution, but one of the most powerful, driven in academics and faith. It is a university that appeals to all. And we'd like you to consider becoming a student at Ave Maria University, or if you know someone that is of age that may be looking at colleges and universities around the country, be sure to tell them about Ave Maria. There are over 30 majors. There's programs undergrad as well as postgrad, all the way up to PhDs in theology. You do not want to miss a chance to attend this university. It is surrounded by the oratory, this beautiful church in the middle of Ave Maria town, just 30 miles away from Naples and the beautiful beaches. It's in Southwest Florida. So the weather is beautiful, but the greatest thing and the most beautiful thing about the university is the community. The community life is a place where young people find belonging and most importantly, encounter Christ in the beautiful tradition of the Catholic faith. So check out Ave Maria university today. You won't regret it. All right, thank you for that. Thank you for the shameless plug in this political season. My pleasure. Yeah. By, paid for by our super PACs. <laughs> no, they're 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 amazing, and I fully endorse them. That that is the, the the super PAC. No, our our sponsors. Now, another issue that is it's really important, and and it's really sad to see the way that it's covered because. It's, it's so divisive, and the way that it divides is over the fate of actual living human beings, and that's immigration. Mm-hmm. And it's really sad because I can understand both sides. I really can. And both and Catholic teaching supports what most people consider both sides of the issue, but neither political party encapsulates or actually teaches what the church teaches. Right. And it doesn't. So, I mean, we look at it, it's like, I don't want people coming to this country, stealing our jobs. They're not stealing your jobs, number one. They're, look, if if, if you were the ones wanting to go out and pick lettuce or drive cabs or these jobs that immigrants typically take, you're lying to yourself. They're, you're just, you're hating on people who are trying to make a better life for them. But as Catholic teaching has always taught, a, a nation has the right to have a lawful and defended border and that all immigrants coming to that country by Catholic teaching are to respect and assimilate into that culture and not try to enforce their culture on that culture. That's a real divide between the way Democrats and Republicans view the issues. Now, you'll think, you know, Republicans say Democrats want open borders and we want, we're taking everyone in with complete impunity. And then Republicans are, say, Democrats will say Republicans are merciless and they want to shut everyone down and there's political refugees who are starving or in in danger and they're sending them back to be murdered by drug cartels. There's got to be somewhere in the middle and that middle is what the Catholic Church teaches. If you are having issues with this, really study what the church teaches because that's the answer. It's not what the Democrats or the Republicans are teaching. There's a middle ground. There is a middle ground and there are middle ground aspects of this that the the public are not aware of uh, of because the politicians don't want that. They want your vote. So they're not going to be like, well, this is what we're doing here and this is the the, the tweener aspect of how all this works. And in a lot of cases, we do receive a lot of people. In a lot of cases, is we send people back and there's a, a real problem with right, it. Right, absolutely. Um, th- there's a lot of system-wide uh, problems, right, with the way that, that we, we, we handle this. So for us to think that when a Democrat says that one side is just pure evil and then the other, for us to even believe and be brought into that is just, it's just... It's just an argument that and don't, doesn't have any legs. And, and we're forgetting that this argument is predicated on actual... Yeah. Human beings, children, yes. families. I know for a fact, if I was in a country like some of these countries, and there was a country close to me that would provide a better environment for my family, I would do anything it took to get there. Mm-hmm. 
And if I had to follow the laws, and that was the easiest way to get there, I would. But if I was in danger, you're damn right. I'm going to find a way to get my family out of danger into a safe place, mm-hmm. just like the Holy Family did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I would also, if the option was presented to follow just laws, that would be my preferred option, like all of my ancestors did coming to this country, mm-hmm. going through the process of immigration, registration, and assimilation and citizenship. Yeah. But I mean, and 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 this kind of goes back to the, some of the other things that we said about the issues, mm-hmm. right? And and how a policy is not going to take care of this, right? If you do let everybody come in, or or we have this very liberal way of bringing people in, you know, you you do open yourself up for certain things as a country to to not protect the the citizens that live there. Absolutely. So, I mean, you've got, you've got another duty and responsibility that's woven into it. And so what is it? It's very complex. What is it? It's, it's, there's no way it's going to be perfect. There's no soundbite no, political it's answer. It's human. Right. If it's going to be perfect, it's going to have Christ in it. And, and then God could handle it. But I mean, it's just so difficult for all of this stuff. It's very difficult for a government well, so, to just have all the answers. So here's what the catechism says, that political authorities for the sake of the common good for which they are responsible, may make the exercise of the right to immigrate subject to various jurisdictional conditions, especially with regard to the immigrants' duties towards their country of adoption. Immigrants are obliged to respect with gratitude the material and spiritual heritage of the country that receives them and to obey the laws and assist in carrying civic burdens. So countries are to, if they are possible, and they say to within reason, if they can support other people, they should because mm-hmm. you have to. Yeah. But also, they have the right to defend their border, mm-hmm. to regulate their border, and furthermore, to regulate their culture. Yeah. And furthermore, that the immigrant has the duty mm-hmm. to assimilate and respect that culture. Yeah. Because cultures are important. Wholesale migrations of people that destroy cultures is not a good thing for humanity. No. You're, all you're doing is moving an issue from one place to another and squeezing a people out of their place and removing the dignity of that culture. Mm-hmm. So there has to be, there's a middle ground here and neither party has it. Right. But, and, it, and it's a very difficult thing because if you lean one way, then you're going to have problems in one area. If you lean the other way, you're going to have problems in another area, which again, goes back to the fact that government is not going to solve our problems at the border. It's not. Mm-hmm. But there, that needs to be solved because there's some people suffering there. Oh, they're heads right. to the border it, cities. And it's it's heartbreaking. They're real people. Yeah. And, and oh, yeah. not only they're re- real people, it's just on both sides of, of the borderline. People are suffering tremendously, mm-hmm. and that is what has to be addressed. Mm-hmm. I've, I've spent time in, in Mexico City. I've spent time in Mexicali and Tijuana and and uh, Tecate and uh, Calexico, and, and I've been even on the border, even in t- into Texas. And it's just you see uh, certain levels of poverty. You see certain levels of, of people being subjected to uh, drug trafficking and, and all other sorts of trafficking that are happening uh, in, in those cities. And there are people that are oppressed on both sides. And, of course, they want to seek a better life. They don't want to live in that. Mm-hmm. They really don't want to live in that. It's subjected to that. Mm-hmm. You know, spending time with, with different philanthropic groups, spending time in poor communities, religious communities, we see the church operating over borders. We see philanthropic 501c3s and, and different nonprofits that are doing beautiful work in the name of the United States of America. This is this is who we are. We've been entrusted with a lot. And those who have been entrusted with a lot have great responsibility. The church is always going to be more effective at dealing with local issues because of the nature of the church itself being ultranational, just completely without borders, but being everywhere. Yeah. The government's not going to do it. The church is a much better provider. Now, John Paul II, Pope St. John Paul II, um, on the World Migration Day, which is a day that uh, prays for migrants worldwide, 2001, he said something really very succinct, very beautiful, and very awesome about migration. And it's specifically, these are the rights to one... the. These are the rights to have one's own country, to live freely in one's own country, to live together with one's family, to have access to the goods necessary for a dignified life, to preserve and develop one's ethnic, cultural, and linguistic heritage, 
to profess publicly one's religion and to be recognized and treated in all circumstances according to one's dignity as a human being. So he's saying, look, countries have the right to preserve their heritage, their language, their culture. But the idea that you have to respect the dignity of another person when you can bring that person in, that stranger, and treat them in a way that will bring them into your family, that's a much better solution. Without and that's what doubt. the church proposes. Without a doubt. All right. So another issue, which this is, I'm, I can, I'm sure the comment boxes are exploding right now <laughs> because we're being so non... We're, we're trying to be Catholic. Yeah. We're not being Republicans or Democrats. We're trying to be Catholic, and we're trying to do our best on that. Yeah. Now, you brought this up earlier, the death penalty, and, and uh, Pope Benedict's um, words on that. I personally am incredibly opposed to the death penalty. Mm-hmm. I do not believe in it. Mm-hmm. And I'm, a, I'm a very conservative, and you would think, oh, no, nope, he's for the death penalty. I think the death penalty is atrocious and barbaric. In today's society, we have every capability in in almost every case to incarcerate a person who is a danger to society without taking away their opportunity for conversion, which is much more necessary. I'm not against lethal force. There's definitely opportunity. There's definitely situations where those charged with protecting society have to use lethal force to save and protect others. But when you have them in chains and in a in a in a, um, in a cage. To execute them is just disgusting retribution. And well, justice, that oh. is not justice. That's retribution. And that is not for us to well, exercise. You're, you're, uh, you're, you like St. Thomas Aquinas. And I've heard an argument on the Catholic side. I don't know if it's true, but that uh, St. Thomas Aquinas said that in some cases mm-hmm. that uh, killing somebody through lethal force, that... I guess has been detained is is something that is plausible in some regard. Well, the catechism used to say that uh, the death penalty can be licit, uh, but today's modern means of incarceration have rendered that practically. Um, gotcha. Never go, it's never going to happen. But and it's always in prevention of greater evil, right? In respect to Thomas Aquinas's angle, yeah. So it's it's yeah. prevention. The but the way that we have with our with our facilities as is now and what they can do to improve those facilities, mm-hmm. which that's what I'm very passionate about. Yeah. You know, mm. we really don't have a corrections approach. Yeah. You know, in all reality, yeah. and we don't have um, you know an approach where we are really supporting the the human development mm-hmm. of people that have been subjected to serious trauma. You know, Venerable Fulton Sheen said that some of the greatest saints he has ever met in his life were in the prison. We're in the jail. Well, I mean, look, look at St. Paul. St. Paul, by a lot of standards, would have gotten the death penalty because he was killing people. Mm -hmm. He was persecuting people. But look at his conversion. Mm -hmm. I mean, taking away a person's opportunity for conversion is crazy. And our Lord was the victim of a state-sponsored execution death penalty, and it was unjust. I just I, I I don't see in any case. Like I said, I'm not against lethal force to protect someone on a battlefield or by the police or by whomever, or in your own home as a person protecting yourself. Lethal yep. force. I'm not against owning guns. I think protection, owning a gun for yourself and protection is an amazing thing to do. Yeah, mm-hmm. I also think the death penalty lends to um, a non-forgiving attitude Absolutely. to criminals, too, because killing them is, is you know, it, it's kind of a, 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 you know, the dignity of that person is taken out. And I'm sure the things that they've done has been so wrong and they've, they've stripped others of their dignity. But in doing so, but what But you don't restore is, dignity by... Taking right. more dignity. But in, in what we're doing is we're sending a message to society that anybody that harms another person is just, you know, and, and believe me, man, I've, redemption. I've, har- yeah, I've harvested, I mean, I've, I've, you know, I have, I've seen people do really bad things in the news and whatever. And I, I just like die on the inside and sometimes I get angry. Mm-hmm. And so I could see that like happening where you're just like, I hope that person dies. How many times have you heard somebody say that? Mm-hmm. I hope that person rots in hell. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Though they could rot in hell if they're gone tomorrow. Yeah. But still it's just like, we don't want that for them. Yeah. We want them to go to heaven and it, you, you know, you, I, I don't know. It's a very tough thing for people to, to overcome. 
And I think the biggest thing for me that's helped me overcome it is, is forgiving others in my life for the harm that they've caused me has helped me realize and see that God looks at them just like he looked at me when I was in sin, mm-hmm. you know, in a very merciful way. I'm very grateful to St. Vincent de Paul Regional Seminary where I studied, where we studied yeah. uh, a number of years back. And I, in prayer, just received this real strong calling to go to the prison mm-hmm. and to visit those in, in maximum security in the juvenile population. It was something that wasn't set up. And I requested if I if I could, and they allowed me. I got clearance, went through all the steps. And for me, it was, you know, me reading the scriptures, being inspired, and then saying, okay, I've got to visit the prisoner. Well, we're not doing that yet. So let's make that happen in our seminary. And they were super open to it. And I'm just very proud of the, the seminary in that respect. Then literally three weeks out, I start getting these news articles and the in my feed, and then I'm reading uh, in the newspaper these horrific crimes done by juveniles. It just so happened. I mean, I don't read it all. The, it just yeah. so happened. I just story after story after story after story, and I'm like, Lord, what am I going to do with these? Because these are horrible, horrible yeah. crimes. The worst type of things you could you could ever imagine. I don't even yeah. want to share them on the sure, on the show. Sure. Um. And I had nothing, literally nothing, preparing for weeks, reading the scriptures, praying like, God, give me something to go in with these kids. So I go to the prison. I go all the way up to the very top floor where they're housed in, in maximum security. And I get through the first couple of doors where they're shutting behind me. Still nothing. All I have is a Bible in my hand. And I walk into general population. Last door closes behind me. And I heard this voice in my heart. Richard, love them. Love them, love them. And I just sat down. The first day I had two kids, I opened up the Bible, just got to know a little bit about their story. The next couple of weeks, we had the whole floor where everybody chose to participate. And I was preaching to all of these kids. And little by little, I started to really receive their, their stories and their testimony and how broken their life was, and they've never, a number of these kids never had somebody who truly loved them, yeah. who truly nurtured them. And they have just been exposed to every type of evil from the time that they were, they were children. And they have a huge vacuum in the heart. Once God started filling that in prayer and by opening up the scripture, there was a number of these kids that were like, I want to become a priest. I want to do, you know, and now I said, well, form some Bible groups, man. Why don't mm-hmm. you guys do this during the week? Do this, blah, 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 blah. Next thing you know, they're all doing it. And and now it's lighting them up and it's giving them hope. And now it's going immediately into activity and action. And they realize because they've been immersed in the darkness, the light is so much more powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Prison prison ministry is amazing. And again, I think that just shows how even people who have done something egregious and terrible. I mean, there's so many examples of saints who have yeah. done something terrible, who went on to have conversion and the Absolutely. death penalty removes that opportunity for conversion, if it hasn't already happened, mm-hmm. that's why, you know, the catechism has been updated under, uh, you know, under Pope Francis, and I agree with this. And I, I wouldn't say I'm a, I'm not a critic of Pope Francis. I, I pray for him every day. I love Pope Francis, but there stylistically, other, yeah, whatever it is, yeah. <laughs> right. But I really agree with him on this. Is that. He said, look, the, the death penalty is no longer valid. He updated Catechism 2267 that said um, the death penalty is inadmissible because it is an attack on the inviolability and the dignity of a person. And that the church needs to commit to ab- abolishing the death penalty worldwide. And Holy Father, I couldn't agree more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, another topic that's really, I think, it's probably important to everybody, but it's going to be very important. This election is the economy, and this is a really tricky one, right? Mm-hmm. How should Catholics look at <clears throat> economic situations, and how does a Catholic vote for it? Republicans are very free market, capitalist, very, um, I guess, pro-business, pro-growth and prosperity or whatever. Democrats are very um, have a very different view of it, and they're very... They're much more, they promise a lot more subsidies. They promise a lot more social programs. Both of them are trying to buy votes. Democrats are trying to buy votes from people who are less fortunate. Republicans are trying to buy influence with people who are more fortunate. They both get it wrong. 
there, there's neither of those parties represent a true view of Catholic social teaching as it relates to the economy, as it relates to Rerum Navarum by Leo the Thirteenth. They just, they just don't. And the economy impacts so many things in people's lives and in so many different ways. It's important to understand that because it's not just how much money do you got in your pocket. It's, it impacts what decision is a, is a very disadvantaged child going to make because of their lack of access to resources. It causes things much deeper than my ability to buy a second Xbox or your ability to buy a, a put an addition on your house or your ability to get Jordan's. beard balm or whatever. I don't know what you do. But there's people who, number one, make an incredible amount of money and people should be allowed to earn as much as they can earn through free market mm-hmm. because if people if they are producing something people want, people should be allowed to buy it. And as much of it as they want, and that should be rewarded capitalistically. But then there's also people who they are forced into lives that lead them to places that no person should be led because of crippling economic disadvantage. They're they're vulnerable. They're vulnerable. Thank you. <clears throat> I mean, it creates vulnerability. And it goes right back to the same point it's that you made earlier. It's all vulnerability. Right. It's all the attack on the vulnerable because the vulnerable are, are easily easily attacked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Rerum Navarum by Leo the Thirteenth was a is kind of the bedrock of Catholic social teaching on economic issues. Um, that, you know, this was at the time when capitalism and manufacturing and industrialization. industrialization was really going on. We had to address it. And he said, look, capital and workers need to respect each other. Workers need to respect that capital is taking risks and using their accumulated wealth to create something. But capital also needs to respect the dignity of workers, give them a fair wage, and give them the certain rights. You know, that's important. It's a, it's it's understanding that there's two sides to the story. And then that gets screwed up in the unions. <laughs> right. But, but, like but, a, but without, without the unions but where, the, you know. Well, no, I mean, the, 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 again, here we go. The yeah, idea of the union. And, yeah. The idea of what a union should be and what they became in, in a certain well, they, sense. Again, they got exploited. Right. They did. I mean, it's, because that's they're, the powerful. they're vulnerable. Again, it yeah. was a person taking. You know, it was Jimmy Hoffa exploiting humanity, the, uh, you know, man. humanity. It's just humanity. Um, we have to look at the dignity of work in Rerum Navarum that, you know, w- there should be just wages. There should be just working conditions. Workers should have associations. Um, the role of the state, it really needs to have a balance between, you know, allowing the state to... Um, step in where needed to, to protect the rights of people, but then also to not step in to infringe on the right of people to earn, right? Economics is a tricky one. And in this election, I'm very positive we are going to be presented with two incredibly different. I mean, the Democratic Party really has tended towards socialism in the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. And socialism is very appealing to young people because it's, well, let's pay off student debt. that doesn't go away. It just gets transferred to someone else. Yeah. Right. And but the, but the thing is, again, with our system, buying votes, it happens. They buy the votes. Right. They destroy whatever it is that they destroy. Another group comes in and says, "We're going to help." And here's the cycle. What 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 we have is we have a human infrastructure with human laws, and and it, there's always going to be a downtrodden. There's always going to be somebody mm-hmm. who's being harmed. Right. Mm-hmm. There's never going to be but a utopia. But then Republicans are going to come in and, and propose uh, economic situations sure. that yeah. steamroll over the poor and the vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Neither party gets it. Neither party has a platform and, and that's I, just. I think our youth are very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And especially when they grow up with the concept, and our, our generation has embraced this wholeheartedly as well, you know, if I had kids, I'm responsible of educating them, you know, after high school and into into college. And I have to pay for that. You know, at the point where these children become adults, they need to have skin in the game. I thank God that my mom could not afford sending me to college. Me too. I thank God for that because I had to put skin in the game. Mm-hmm. I had to look at, hey, I've got to take these loans. Yeah, I wish it had a, b- a better interest rate. I, w- I wish we had a different structure to that. You don't like the loan? Don't cite it. You don't understand the loan? Read it. Read it. And then learn learn it before right. you before you sign. You're grown-ups. If you can sign a loan, you're legally a grown-up. Exactly. Read your f- loan paper. So, so the important factor of, you know, put some skin in the game, 
show up for your classes, study, become proficient in what you study, and don't treat college as, hey, I've got a free education. My parents are paying for me. I'm going to go party and just still be a kid. And now this is my quote unquote freedom. No, your yeah. freedom is for you to be excellent. Yeah. Your freedom is to choose to do the good. Your freedom is to seize the opportunity and become an absolute master at something and yeah. to contribute to the world and have joy from your contribution. Mm-hmm. But if we're just going to universalize it, we're going to have the same problem that we have now with everybody feeling like they have to pay for their kids' education without any type of skin in the game. We know how if kids are if kids are spoiled like that, we see how they turn out. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, speaking about socialism, because that's what that is, mm-hmm. there, there's a difference between social programs that provide out of the public wealth to benefit people who need help. Look, man, I was poor, poor, poor growing up, and there was times where we were on food stamps. We were. I mean, and we we needed assistance to eat, right? But never. But immediately, my father would work harder, and eventually, he worked so hard that he founded an incredibly successful business that has provided for generations of wealth for my family, mm-hmm. right? And it has supported my mom and my sisters and my brother for generation for the you know, and now for his my brother's children and my mom's grandchildren, right? Mm-hmm. That was how, that was how to hard work. But that doesn't mean that he, my dad was a deadbeat for needing assistance. He lost socialism. He lost his job, and there was a social net provided for by our public Mm -hmm. wealth that provided that. And now, because your dad worked, you don't have to work anymore. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's not the case. And 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 that's and that's the dignity. The dignity of human labor is the fact that we contribute. Right. And we generate and we participate in creation. Oh, I still have to work, though. I mean, that, yeah, I don't get the wealth. But, but, <laughs> but at the same time, it's like it, it, making the point for a greater clarity of how we ought to be involved in relationship to labor and what labor is for. Right. So many popes have specifically condemned socialism. Socialism is a danger. John the Twenty Third, this social justice giant who is very more. I mean, incredibly for social justice. And if if we're being honest, most people consider him a liberal pope. He said no Catholic should subscribe even to moderate socialism. Uh, Paul VI said that Christians too often are attracted by socialism and they tend to idealize it. Um, John Paul said that socialism is a dangerous proposition. I mean, every single pope going back to Leo XIII have said socialism counters Catholic teaching. And there's I'm sure there's going to be some Jesuit or someone who has a deeper nuance out of it who will give me some instances where democratic socialism is the case. It's not true. But but what begs but begs what begs the next question is what are the basic needs of the human person and those who are most vulnerable that we ought to provide service to? Right. You know, and, and that's where food, like you said, yeah. Shelter. Yeah. Safety. It's one thing. Safety. Education. Health yeah. Education. Exactly. It's, it's healthcare. One, and that's that's the big one that's being debated now. Oh, is healthcare. man, that's a mess. It, it's a total mess. But it is. It's a basic human yeah. need. And we have the capacity and economical infrastructure to be able to provide for the needs of the people. Socialized healthcare would cripple our healthcare system mm-hmm. because we are leaders in healthcare because we do not have socialized healthcare. But... Why not give these doctors who are making a ton of money, say, look, we will give you a straight line tax deduction. If you perform services for people who cannot do it, we will just not charge you taxes on it. Doctors are like, absolutely. I'm going to take my quota of people who need help, and they were all tax deduction. Okay, that's that's a feasible plan. It's not the government providing it and stepping in and making decisions on whether or not someone should be pulled off life support or whether or not someone should be able to have this treatment or that. The government... I. I, it's terrifying that the government could ever be involved in making healthcare decisions for a person or mm-hmm. a family. Mm-hmm. Incentivize people as a government, incentivize doctors and healthcare providers to want to provide it. Yep. That's and, a solution. And leave it within subsidiarity there and the go. choice of the family. The, the smallest, most local. It, it has to be that way. Yeah. And that's what the Catholic Church will always teach. Absolutely. Now, um, and that brings up a really important point is that, look, neither of these parties— Look, who should a Catholic vote for, a Democrat or Republican? Good luck. I would say neither. I mean, in most instances, I would say very few of them 
are going to all support positions that are in line with Catholic teaching. It's going to be very hard to find any that do. And there's always the concept of you should vote for the lesser of two evils. That's not the Catholic teaching. Catholic teaching is not voting for the lesser of two evils. Catholic teaching is double effect, that you can sometimes do something that causes a adverse effect if your intention is not to cause that adverse effect. It's a, it's a different nuance than lesser of two evils. Well, it's like, well, I'm going to vote for this guy because he doesn't support abortion, but he also supports hawkish war policies that are going to kill hundreds of thousands of people. That's, that's not a... That's not a lesser of evil. I would not vote for either of those people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would not vote for somebody who is going to um, protect us against euthanasia or something like that, or want to protect marriage, but then also is going to crush the poor. That's not a viable option. You can't vote for those lesser of two evils, you mm -hmm. know? But but weighing in on conscience and how you ought to vote, one, you know, you, you can you can possibly listen to that and say, well, if I'm having difficulty voting, who 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 do I vote for? Maybe I shouldn't vote. But the the point is, is no, you have to vote. You know, like you are a member of this country, and you are informed, and you are a conscientious intellectual. That's why the two party system sucks. Yeah, and it does, and that that needs reform in all reality. So yeah, you're right. I mean. I hate the two-party system. And here's something that all of our viewers can go look at is the uh, American Solidarity Party. Uh, it's a solidarity-party.org. Their party that tries to, in all places, in all ways, try to adhere to Catholic teaching. Um, go to their, their platform page and you look at it and you're like, yes, this is the type of political candidate we need. And in, in our country, look, it's so divided. But if you had somebody who truly cared for the poor, but also truly cared for the rights of the unborn, and someone who truly cared about strong borders and protecting our national sovereignty, but who also had a very compassionate and compelling care for the, for the immigrant. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you had somebody who did all these things, it's the perfect candidate. And that perfect candidate is the Catholic viewpoint. And one of those parties that really does that is the American Solidarity Party. Check them out. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm telling you to vote for them, but... Look, the two-party system sucks. This is an alternative. You don't have to vote for those two parties. You can write somebody in if they're not on the ballot. You can help support other parties. You can help break up this monopoly that these two parties have, which is not good for our country. It's just not. It's very true. True. Now, before we go, mm -hmm. because I'm, I'm more of a monarchist than I am into democracy. I join you. I am, and in a monarchy, we're going to have an inquisition. Oh, no. Yes. We haven't had an inquisition in a while. Well, can't say that anymore. Been like kind of relaxing. Yeah, don't. See, <laughs> when you least expect it. Yeah. All right. Give this it is, to me. This is a trick question, but this is political season. <laughs> All of your inquisition questions are trick questions. This is, this is not a brain twister, right? If you, in your parish, you were administering to a politician and you knew they specifically voted for and held a position. For example, they supported unlimited abortion or abortion at all stages or abortion at all. Would you deny them communion publicly? I would pastorally care for them before I would come to that conclusion. I wouldn't, I would not say, say this happened. Mm -hmm. They come in and they're coming forward to receive communion. I would not in the middle of the liturgy absolutely refuse without me pastorally caring for that person and walking with them intellectually in dialogue to be able to come to a, you know, where are we in relationship to right. your Catholic faith and then what you uphold politically and, you know, where is the integrity of your messaging and, and, and what you are representing? But what if they said, I'm not going to change it, I'm going to continue well, we to would support come that to, term we abortion? Would, well, we they've would already excommunicated themselves. Exactly. You would just pronounce that. Yeah, but, but then would you then facilitate that excommunication by no longer giving yes. them communion? You well, would. well uh, excommunication. But, but it's, my, it's my responsibility to, to shepherd. Yes. And, and that is first and foremost, my, my exchange with people is compassion. I look at how I was treated. I was treated very well by Father Tetla. And I was not living Catholic ideals. Mm -hmm. And I was received with mercy. I will receive every person with mercy. 
and try to see how I can walk with them. And if it's something that abhorrent and, and they're, they're manipulating the Catholic platform and the Catholic uh, premise of our communion with Christ and them representing something completely anti-Christ, mm-hmm. that's my job to facilitate yeah. that excommunication. a formal excommunication and, formal, and formalize and express in charity. Yeah, because like, if I they're receiving unworthily, they're and, bringing and their it own would judgment. Be, it would be regretful for me because it would be based in love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It would be absolutely regretful. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a really good response because so often you see, oh, they're they're denying this uh, politician communion, and it's it's just like a punishment. But denying them, it, it, you said it, it's in love, and that's that's. That's so lost. And with openness to say, hey, you know, I don't understand the pressures of your life. Right. I, I've worked with a number of, of politicians before in the past. It's like, you know, they're at the crossroads of I have to represent this party. I have funding from this person. I have all these pressures. I'm, I may even have some violent bloodshed type stuff. I've got a, a contract out of my daughter's life if I don't uphold that type of stuff. Who's going to walk with these people in, in that type of throes of darkness? If that's, that's the scenario. If that's the scenario, yeah. that's my job, dude. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's the priest's job to be there and to walk with. Not just to immediately play the game of, of the bigger politics. politics. No, I'm not in that job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that answer. So. Because I like that answer. That's, yeah, that's a mean, very nuanced and a good answer. Yeah, good job, Padre. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Good job. So did we tell everyone who they should vote for? No, we didn't. Vote for a monarchy. Right. With Jesus Christ as the, as the king of kings. Right in Pope Benedict. He doesn't got a job right now. <laughs> right in. There we go. Right in. My I'm brothers and sisters, you. we want to thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode on the Catholic Talk Show. I'm sure we're going to have a lot of commentary driving into our feeds. Please, again, be charitable, be open-minded. This is the marketplace for ideas, and we need to be able to share ideas and dialogue in a civilized manner. We are not going to build anything based on violence and irrational conversations. Let's have real conversations, real talk about our Catholic faith, about what we need to uphold as Catholics, fulfilling the obligations before Christ, and together we will continue to build out the kingdom of God here on earth as is entrusted to us, and God willing, as we move closer to the kingdom together, we will form a true sense of solidarity and unity, for we are one in Christ, and we will see you next week. That's hate speech. (laughs) Vote Catholic 2020. (laughs) 